Let me pray for us as we begin the sermon today. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may or may not be aware that tomorrow in the Northern Hemisphere, many around the world will celebrate what is called the winter solstice. It is that day when the earth has tilted the northern hemisphere far away at its farthest point from the sun, which means that that evening, tomorrow evening, will be the longest night of the year. As is always the case, this longest dark night is both literal and metaphorical. I think we are keenly aware of this in our current reality in terms of the metaphor of the long, dark night. And yet something will happen tomorrow, just after sunset, that is an important reminder of our hope in this dark night of our souls. Just after the sun sets and begins the dark night, for the first time in 800 years, since 1226 of the Common Era, the two largest planets, titanic orbs in our solar system, will appear to kiss. Saturn and Jupiter will appear in the heavens just one-tenth of a degree apart appearing as one bright planet, the likes of which this kind of spectacle in the heavens will not be seen again until the year 2080. Astrologers are heralding it as a time of rebirth. Chani Nicholas, an astrologer who lives in Los Angeles, sees the moment more mystically, saying, this is the end of an era and the beginning of a new one. She continued of Jupiter and Saturn to have these two be so beautifully placed, to be so bright and enchanting in the night sky feels very cosmically poetic, adding, after this year of restriction and confinement and devastation, there is this feeling that there is some kind of renewal that is beginning. And I encourage you to wander out after sunset tomorrow and look into the sky to see this bright light. Of course, Christians have understood new beginnings and renewal with each coming season of Advent, with each celebration of the birth of Christ, haven't we? We do this yearly. We anticipate, once again, the birth of the Christ child. New York Times best-selling author Shauna Nequist echoes our sense of this season, saying, I'm suspending expectations, fortifying my heart in the quiet moments, drawing close to the very old story of a young couple, a baby on the way, an unexpected journey, an unexpected life. 
I'm drawing close to the heart of Advent, the waiting, the darkness, the holding on for hope that we believe but that we cannot yet see. Here's to opening our weary hearts to the unexpected, the strange and the lovely, the disruptive and beautiful all around us. Today, we just lit the fourth candle of Advent, the candles gradually dispelling the darkness as we await the celebration of the birth of Jesus. The fourth candle is named the candle of love, perhaps signaling to us that light cannot come without love as its herald. Hearing Luke's account of the Annunciation in this candlelight cast it as a story of a loving God who cares deeply for all of humanity and at the same time casts love as an unfolding force in history. Can you grasp that, that, that love is about a God who cares so deeply for us, a lovesick God? And that love will be the center of how history is made. Love will take shape through generations of ordinary, unexpected, and often vulnerable people, just like you and me, who choose to love in the face of hate. And like us, Mary was living between two worlds, the world of oppression and the world of hope. And I want to say in our scripture this morning, between the greeting and the conclusion, between the angelic presence greeting Mary and saying, greeting favored one, God is with you, and the conclusion, the angel then departed from her. So much happens in this short story. Part of Luke's perspective here is that in Jesus, God is coming into the world in a hidden, unexpected, subversive way. In a world dominated by the authority of men, a world not unlike our own, Jesus would come into the world through the faith and strength and body of a young woman. Actually, that word virgin that was translated from the Greek into the English Actually, the real translation would be young girl. How can this be? For I am a young girl, and yet it is through the faith and strength and body of this young woman that love would be born. In a world dominated by Rome and Jerusalem, Jesus would come into the world through a family from Nazareth, a know-nothing town, unmentioned in all of the ancient Hebrew scriptures. In a world dominated by imperial power and violent strength, Jesus would come as an infant, just as we have come into the world as infants, with a soft spot in his head and Mary's milk upon his breath. And in this mystical story of the arrival of the angel Gabriel who sits at the right hand of God, so much is happening. 
It is often said, and if you look at all the pictures of the Annunciation of Gabriel, of Jesus, by Gabriel to Mary, you will see that often Mary is portrayed reading. The books look a lot like our Bibles, which is a stretch, because she would have been, if reading anything, looking at a papyrus of some sort. It is said that she reads from the book of the prophet Isaiah about a young woman who will conceive and give birth. And we don't get a sense initially from the story that Mary is startled upon the arrival of this angel Gabriel. Well, I don't know about you, but I'd be scared out of my wits. The scripture says she is perplexed by the greeting. Still, some aspect of anxiety or fear must have been in the air because the next words of the angel to Mary are classic from all of scripture, do not be afraid. What ensues then is this conversation in which the angel shares the unexpected, unlikely reality of Mary conceiving and having a child. And Mary's response is not, absolutely not, that is not going to happen. Rather, her response is, how can this be? It is a response of wonder. It is a response of stepping in to what is mystically happening in front of her. The angel's response is that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and overshadow her. Sometimes when I read it, I think there are times when the coming of the Holy Spirit sounds more frightening than it does hopeful. And it is almost as if the angel knew that there needed to be some other convincing thing in Mary's life And so he shares with her the news about her relative Elizabeth's pregnancy. Only then, after Mary responds, let it be with me according to your word, does do we hear the angel say that nothing will be impossible with God? As the song that follows in this mystical encounter makes clear, the song that Mary sings about the wealthy being brought down and the lowly being lifted up reminds us that Mary is a revolutionary, but she is also a learned contemplative, a young woman familiar with her faith who is capable both of marveling at God's love and on reflecting on the implications for her own life The traditional Annunciation image of Mary reading may call us to ask ourselves, what are we reading these days? And how is what we are reading preparing us for greater insight into God's love for us and for the world? Mary's disciple, let it be with me according to your word, establishes her as nothing less than the first disciple the very first follower of Jesus. 
So we have to ask ourselves as we read this, how might we follow in her footsteps to become disciples, followers of Jesus, perhaps by being open to hearing God's call and claim upon our lives? Listen. Greeting, favored ones. God is with you. Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And we may ask ourselves, how could this possibly be? But listen for the response. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, for nothing will be impossible with God. We are favored ones. We have been named and claimed as children of God. And the question is, how will we respond? Here is what Richard Rohr has to say how not to respond, and then perhaps how to respond. Richard Rohr wrote this week, the celebration of Christmas is not merely a sentimental waiting for a baby to be born. It is much more than asking for history to be born. Creation groans in its birth pangs, waiting for our participation with God in its renewal. So, do the, so we do the gospel no favor when we make Jesus the eternal Christ into a perpetual baby who asks little or no adult response from us, one even wonders what kind of mind would want to keep Jesus a baby. Maybe only one that is content with baby Christianity. He goes on to say, the Christ we are asking and waiting for includes our own full birth and the further birth of history and creation. It is to this adult and cosmic Christ that we can say, Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, with a whole new understanding and deliberate passion. This makes our entire lives and the life of the church one huge advent, one huge coming. Here we are, we can say, servants of God, let it be with us according to your word. And how do we prepare? We make room in our hearts and minds and souls. We awaken to the presence of God in our midst. We practice persistence in the face of difficulties and challenges and hate. We quiet our hearts and minds and souls, listening for God's word, doing all we can to acquaint ourselves with our faith story, and then practicing love, and practicing love, and practicing love, and practicing generously, expansively, no matter the cost. In 1940, a young black boy was walking through the street holding his mother's hand. They were living in South Africa under the apartheid regime. It was the law then that a black person who passed a white person on the street should step aside and let the white person pass. The boy and mother saw a white man approaching them. They prepared to step aside when, to their surprise, the white man stepped off the sidewalk and tipped his hat to the boy's mother as a sign of respect and honor. The boy was shocked. He and his mother walked down the center of the sidewalk and smiled at the man. Mother, he asked, why did that man stand aside for us and tip his hat? 
I thought that white men didn't do that. Why didn't he want us to step aside? And she said, because, son, that man is a man of God. That man is a priest. It was then and there that the little boy decided that he, too, would become a priest. His name was Desmond Tutu. Only great love allows one to step aside so that others may be treated with respect. St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta reminds us, it is not about how much you do, but how much love you put into what you do that counts. Not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. Here we are, servants of God. Let it be with us according to your word. Amen.